Uh, this morning, we're going to go back to our sermon series on heroes. And so this morning, we're talking about this yellow stone here in the middle, the time stone. And it's always exciting when we press that button. It's just thrilling. So why are we doing a hero series? Because interestingly enough, our society made a big statement back in May when, um, when this Avengers movie came out, which this gauntlet is from. It's a prop from that. And they spent over $2 billion in one month to see one movie. And, and then the company that released it, Marvel, was very, very smart. They re-released it with some junk footage at the very end. That was their excuse because they wanted to surpass Avatar as the number, and they just did it, the number one money-making movie of all time. You know, when our public spends that kind of money on something, we should probably think about what is it that draws them to that. And my opinion is that there are storylines within this comic book series that speak to the individual in, in a variety of ways. And in, in so many of those ways, it really has to do with we need heroes. We desperately need heroes. And, and so I was thinking contextually, from a biblical perspective, how would that work? And that has taken us to Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll be in there for just one verse today, but we're really going to cross-reference a lot of other areas in Scripture based off of... Uh, uh, this idea that the arch enemy gathered all these powerful stones so that he could uh, control the universe. He could have all power to do all things. And the interesting concept is the last, uh, the last sermon I spoke at uh, two weeks ago. By the way, Bob, I heard you did a great job last week. And uh, very exciting for whenever Bob speaks. But... Um, we talked about the idea of power. That was another one of the stones, is the power stone. And how much power truly affects what it means to understand the power of God versus the power of man. And how does that really work within our lives? Today we're talking about the mind stone and where I thought this concept of power and where power really resides, I think this idea of the mind is going to be even a deeper walk for everyone in the room. I think you and I will be challenged more today in, in this message than any of the messages in the series. They told me a long time ago the difference between doing youth ministry and ministry with adults is, first of all, you, you don't have to eat at Del Taco all the time. So that's a plus. But secondly, Adults have this great thing that they have matured. The, the difficulty in that is that adults think they're mature, right? Adults think they've got it all figured out. And so the odds say there isn't anything that we're going to cover out of Scripture today that's going to change any of us. Because we're already set in our ways. We already know what we know. We're already convinced we're, we're what? We're right. So I just want to pray that the Lord reveals to each person areas where there needs to be a renewing of the mind. 
And I want you to prayerfully approach what we're going to look at today with the idea that how am I making decisions? How am I making choices? What dictates my thinking? Because as one great philosopher said, I think, therefore I what? Therefore I am. How you think is who you are. So the question is, are we thinking biblically? Are we thinking with excellence? Are we thinking with truth? What has shaped our thinking? Let me pray over this message. Father, we come to you with a desire to move out from underneath unhealthy thinking, toxic thinking, that we would have a renewing of our mind and that we would walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Let each one consider what that means today. In your name we pray. Amen. Let me give you a little context for the Mind Stone. Let's watch this on the screen. The Mind Stone was headed back. So what was happening in that last scene is that with that the stone is inside that blue orb and uh, the villain Loki could control the minds of people if he touched them with that. And I want you to transpose that idea because I think it's brilliant. When they wrote that into this series, this superhero series, there's a, a very large element of truth for us to examine here. Because through the history of mankind... There are those who know if they can shape your thinking to their will, they what? They control you. They control you. So a big challenge for you and I today is to say who and what and why are we being controlled by in our thinking and in our mind? And what does that look like in our approach? And does there need to be a change? Maybe there doesn't need to be a change. Maybe you actually have it figured out perfectly. Let me know at the end, if that's you, uh, and, and we'll, we'll nominate you to the, uh, to the CBC Heroes Pantheon. So this morning, I lead with this statement, I am surrounded by idiots. Have you ever found yourself saying that? I am surrounded by idiots. Hang on to that idea. What you believe shapes your choices and affects the people around you. Let's look at some scripture. Let's just dive in. There's a real quick graphic about the Mind Stone. And again, I, I think one of the reasons is in, in understanding how you could have in, in this comic book series, which is all fiction, 
there's an element of truth in all of these parts that the writer was thinking, how could I control everything? How can I make one thing that can control all things? And they specifically chose something that would control the mind. That speaks to a deeper issue for you and I today. So let's jump off that platform. Here's some statements about the state of mind. By the way, we do have some uh, 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 sermon notes. You can take those out of your bulletin and write stuff down. I'm going to be moving quickly today. What shapes your thinking? Here's your first question. Uh, here's a great quote. I learned that two people can look at the same exact thing and see something totally different. Have you ever experienced this? Anybody? Of course. So who's right and who's wrong? Who's right and who's wrong? C.S. Lewis says this, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. It's a great thing to consider this morning as we move through. I don't know what output volume is, but we're just going to keep moving through. Here's a philosophical statement by a Swami. Boy, if you want a philosophical statement, get it from a Swami. That's one of those words that's just fun to say, isn't it? Swami. Throw away all weakness. Tell your body that it is strong. How many of you have done that this week? How many of you figured out that telling your body it's strong doesn't necessarily make your body strong? I have to tell you, our students and Brad and Treya hiked up the side of a mountain that... Brad, you've done Mount Diablo. How would you say it compared the hike this week? Way harder. Way harder. And Treya did it as well. And uh, don't ask me where I was. Um, I've done that hike plenty of times. I opted for a safer place because I knew that my knees weren't ready. I could tell my body all I wanted to, that it was ready to do, and it was not ready to do that. Tell your mind that it is strong. How many of you have give, uh, given into a craving? Right? Next time that craving comes, just tell your mind it's strong. It's strong enough. It can do it. You can do it. You know what I did? I, I, I gave up my, my Starbucks addiction. You know what? You know what? I, I've tried three times before I left this week, and I told my baristas, I'll see you in two months. And then I drive back up, and they're like, what happened? And so... Uh, I just said this yesterday to, to, to one of the gals at the window. She said, why are you doing this? And I said, because there's a great verse. See, I spiritualized it. I said, there's a great verse out of 2 Timothy 1.7, and it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. And she goes, wow, that's really deep. And now I better not show up. Right? I'm accountable according to Scripture. Because I know my mind is weak. I can tell it all I want, but you know sometimes I need that accountability. So I don't know if the Swami really is tapping truth here. And have unbounded faith and hope in what? Yourself. Brothers and sisters, there's a huge movement right now, and it's even within Chris, Christian churches, Christian writing, Christian literature. It's about you. It's all about making yourself better so that you're ready to help others and and you got to take care of what? You got to take care of yourself. I don't know that that's wrong per se. Jesus escaped from prayer. Jesus ate and fed himself. Jesus slept. I don't think that's what they're really writing about. 
And so the problem is, the reason they're saying those things, let me give you a little insider secret, because we know that the majority of the people are suffering. And we know that they're looking for an answer. And so when we write a book, or we go on a platform and we speak to the secrets of, of what's going to work, we know how to tickle your ears and make you say when you walk away, oh man, that was fantastic. The only problem is, we're not around a week later when it's not working. When you come up empty. Because a lot of this take care of yourself stuff leads to an empty road and an empty road and an empty road without Christ. And that's what we're talking about is what is good thinking versus toxic thinking? Let's keep moving this morning. My goodness. I don't know what shapes my thinking. A state of mind, what shapes your thinking? Romans 8, 5 through 6. Turn to Romans 8, and I'm going to really tell you that mark in your notes Romans 8, 1 through 8, and I'm going to read that, but I only have uh, 5 through 6 up here because I want to emphasize that. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in whom? Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That sounds really good, doesn't it? For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And, <clears throat> and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not, and here, here we go, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What does that look like? My success today hinges on you walking out of here today knowing to one measure or another the difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the Spirit. This is what I want you to walk away with today. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Then you can continue out through the rest. For you and I to walk in the Spirit means to engage our day with the Spirit. To say the frontier of minute by minute and hour by hour, I relinquish to your control. I will think how you think. I will serve how you lead me to serve. Rather than minute by minute, hour by hour, I'm measuring what I'm doing, how I'm going. Now we're all trained to think that, right? Because that's the world we live in. The tyranny of the urgent. So this is a battle. So that word set, that is the biggest challenge for you and I today. To set. Right? I have set the infinity gauntlet on this. Now if I set it on the hat, what's going to happen? Yeah, it's going to crush the hat. It's going to accidentally snap and half of us are going somewhere we don't want to go. No, kids, that's not real. I just want to emphasize kids and adults. Not real. But the idea is when you set, you set on a firm foundation. It is set. You ever do jello your first time? And you're really excited about it? I remember as a kid, we had those little jello packets. Remember growing up with those? Oh, I was so excited. I love jello. And so I would, I would pour it in the thing, 
And then I would go to the refrigerator every three minutes, which would make the refrigerator not cold enough to set up the jello. And eventually I just took a straw and just started drinking it, <laughs> right? Which was nowhere close to what it should taste like, or, or my experience was ruined because I didn't let it set correctly. Are we starting to form an idea of what it means on a day-by-day purposeful aspect to pursue the Spirit rather than our own thinking? Let's keep going. So Romans 8 is a key passage that I want you to look on. Galatians 5, 16 through 17, you can write that down. It just emphasizes exactly what Paul said to the Romans. He just said it to the Galatians. It's a little more concise. But let me bring up Colossians 2, 1 through 15. And this is a tremendously powerful passage. And, and as he states this, this is one of the best passages I know to speak about what we set our minds on and how dangerous it can be when we don't set our minds on the right things. What shapes your thinking? What shapes your thinking? And there's plenty, and we'll get to it in a moment, about what is out there for us to think about, and it'll be a litmus test for you and I. How many of you love tests? Okay, so even the kids can participate in this in in a moment, but go to Colossians 2, and, and you can start all the way back in verse 1, but, but I'll, I'll stick to uh, what I put up there. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so what? Walk in Him. What is this idea to walk in Christ? My wife and I have a partnership. We walk in our marriage together. That's one of the fastest ways I can try to help you understand what this terminology walk means. Lauren is on a soccer team. Uh, Shelby was part of TESOL. When you are walking with someone else, it means you are, are cooperating. You see yourself in an interdependent relationship and to act independently sometimes severs that and creates conflict and tension and gets you way off base. Have you ever thought about your relationship with God in those terms? So walk. Walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. How many of you ever tried to dig up a mulberry tree? If you want an exercise program, quit your gym membership. Just go around and dig up mulberry trees. We had one in our front yard, and I wasn't even trying to get rid of it. I, I would have used dynamite if I was. But I had to put in a, 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 a brick walkway, and I had to chop through roots with a pickaxe. And I'll tell you what, it, guys, it does wonders for your marriage, because then your wife sees you, you know, out there flexing and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, she's just like, wow, George Hamilton, you are something else. <laughs> Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. Established, right? Set, built, rooted. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then look at the next part. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. We're going to look at Judas the Judas polemic, as I call it, in in just a moment. And I think where we struggle, where we start acting independently, and where our thinking 
needs to be renewed sometimes is when we start thinking like Judas. And it's not that hard. Boy, we want to demonize Judas. Don't we? But one of the ways I can set my mind on Christ and I can walk in the Spirit is I can do that Judas check on myself all the time and just say to myself, how close am I to making a decision, a choice, because my mind is like Judas today rather than my mind set on the Spirit and walking in Him. And so we'll circle back. That was a teaser. But a big reason that we have the challenges that we have with thinking and what our mind is set on and what shapes our thinking, brothers and sisters, has everything to do with what we allow to shape that thinking. Why is it you hold to certain things the way you do? What has shaped that? Let me run you through a test just so you understand what I'm talking about. So Matthew 6, 19, a little bonus. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. But look at the part, for where you're, look at the end. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to know how to check where your thinking is? As I run through some of these lists coming up uh, in the next slide, I want you to ask yourself, how much is that thinking by walking in the Spirit versus thinking by walking in the flesh? Are you ready? Because this will be a test of what has shaped your thinking. This is where your heart is. Here we go. What about politics? What? Pastor Jeremy, you're not supposed to preach about politics. They're going to come and arrest you. Politics, politics, politics. Lock me down. There's a jail right outside. I can get out of that one. Thank you. That was a little scary. <laughs> what, what do they say from the mouths of babes? Okay, huh? So what shapes your politics? All the Republicans in here are thinking, aha, take that, Democrats. And all the Democrats are saying, Jesus was a Democrat if you really look at him. So, ha, take that, Republicans. Oh, oh, oh no one's laughing anymore, are they? <laughs> are you liberal or are you conservative? Why are you one or the other? Is it because who spoke that into you? Are you this way because you're walking according to the Spirit? Or are you this way because others shaped that into you? Oh, if you thought, thought, thought I'm getting personal, let's just keep going. Social issues. What would be a social issue? Just name one. Healthcare. Healthcare. Uh, for a second, I thought you said elf care. <laughs> Got a little cold thing going here. Healthcare, yeah, social issue. Wow. And, and do Christians divide on this subject? Is there an answer to it? Yes, Jesus healed people. Let's just have Jesus come back and just take care of the whole thing. What about moral issues? What would be a moral issue? Immigration, abortion, what else? What's that? Yeah, living together, marriage, the view of marriage. Yeah. Race issues. Am I going to wear my Nikes or my Adidas when I run up that hill on Tuesday? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Logic. What? Logic. I'm not talking about 
the master musician, if my son is listening. All right, logic. Who shapes how you think logically? See, this is, this is what we effectively call a curveball. Pastor, you're talking about logic from the pulpit? Can't we keep it to Jesus? I am keeping it to Jesus. Jesus spoke with logic all the time. Rich young ruler walks up to him and says, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And what does he do? He uses logic on the individual. Jesus was one of the most logical expositors you'll ever find. Because he knew how to approach people and use the issue of critical thinking all the time. Parenting. Uh-oh, is there a proper way, according to the Spirit, to parent your children? Ooh, you know what? You really want to get fired? Start talking about, you know, drawing lines in the sand as to how to truly parent correctly. Right? Janine and I uh, went through a book called Parenting God's Way. Boy, if that doesn't send a message, right? But our kids turned out great, so apparently it, it worked. So, um, <laughs> If you're visiting today, that's my spiritual gift of sarcasm. So not that my kids didn't turn out great. Let's keep moving. Marriage. Marriage. How do you walk in the spirit and not in the flesh? How does your mind get transformed into thinking in a godly way about your marriage? And who has told you what marriage should be? Because there's a lot of different opinions about what marriage should be. But God has His sole intent and purpose about what marriage is. And when that is followed, a marriage exemplifies Christ and exemplifies the beauty of what it was always intended to be. Money. Boy, he's really trying to get fired now. Some of you are squirming. I can see it right now. He's going to ask about tithing. I know it. I know he's going to. No, I'm not. We'll talk about that later. I've got a presentation. A big thing. I'm coming to your house. <laughs> Money. How do, do you even have a philosophy as to how you deal with your money? When you think about what you're going to spend your money on. Now, I'm going to get real personal here. I'm really trying to get fired today. How many of you have been consumed with your 401ks and retirement and all that stuff when Scripture talks about living in the dependency of God and living according to a day's wage? Now, listen to me carefully. What did I not say? I'm just throwing a bone out to you and saying what is shaping your thinking because in our society, within the past maybe 100, 150 years, it has become the overarching, all-imposing thing whereby you're foolish if you don't save for retirement. You're foolish if you don't have a plan for all these things. You're foolish if you haven't set yourself up financially for all these. You know how it's worked for millennia? But because of how we have changed our thinking, especially in America, is that the family took care of the family. Now we are scrutinized to say you can't depend, and we have financial Christian leaders who say you have no business depending on your children to help you when you get older. I'd like to see verse and chapter on that. Because my kids are taking care of me. <laughs> right? We're starting a revolution. 
What is excellent? We're going to hit at the very end a, a verse, a passage out of Philippians that talks about whatever is excellent, think on these things. Whatever is excellent. So what is excellent? When it comes to all these things, what is excellent thinking? How many of you love shooting for fourth best? Yes. <laughs> yes, I love that. How many of us would like to be placing like 87th? Right? I don't know anybody that, that wants that. We want the best. And sometimes there's a varied opinion about what that looks like. My challenge to us today, including myself, is that Scripture teaches us that if we walk according to the Spirit, that God has an intended relationship with us. He is set before the creation of time that we would be dependent on Him and be in relationship with Him and that He promises to supply our needs and that those areas of life that become challenging, most of the time they become challenging because we have allowed empty philosophy, philosophy and worldly thinking to come in and change our thinking and divert our thinking away from walking in the Spirit. So hopefully I have set the, uh, I've set the stage this morning. A state of mind doesn't matter what we think. I have been told often it doesn't matter what I think. Have you? Right? Doesn't matter what we think. Or does it? I think it does. Because how we think, the process of how we think, affects our joy, affects conflict, affects peace, affects love, pursuits, accomplishments, challenges, stability, eating, sleeping, relationships. We have a society that has said, look, this is the way you should think. Empty and worldly philosophy said there should be no boundaries. The sexual revolution came along and said you should be able to do whatever you want. And now we can't even afford to pay for the damage that's happening because of sexually transmitted diseases. But nobody wants the accountability of that. We're just going to stick with that program. We're just going to keep feeding that narrative because it allows me to do what I want. Have you ever, ever had a moment where you're thinking in your mind it was so clear, this, this makes a lot of sense. We should do this. I should do this. And then you're praising God later saying, thank God I didn't do that. We are in competition with these empty and worldly philosophies that Paul talks about. Rather than being rooted and established in Christ Jesus, when we allow some of those philosophies to come in and shape our thinking, it affects all these areas. All these areas. And it's getting harder and harder for the younger generation. One of the things I noticed at camp over the past few years down at Catalina, we never used to have this when we first started going out there. But now the nurse has to hand out the medication for the students. And I didn't really see it this week because I think they did it in a different way or fashion. But the last two years that I spoke out at this camp, they would have a time where they would hand it out and there was a line 50, 60 students long waiting for their meds. Brothers and sisters, something's wrong. Something's wrong. 
And before I get to the nasty email, there is legitimate reasons for medications. And just so you know, I'm not, I'm not. But I think we can all agree something is askew. And we're off base here. And until we approach those real issues about how we think, we just keep subjugating ourselves to the quote-unquote experts who have been proven wrong over and over and over again. So, you remember my question to you that, that maybe there's more than one way to see something. Maybe you think one way, another person thinks another way, and, and is that right, is that wrong? What do you all see? Somebody said faces. How many of you see faces? Raise your hand. How many of you don't see faces? Raise your hand. How many of you, see, nobody sees flowers? Okay, because that's the obvious one. Thank you very much. Okay, so uh, how many faces do you see? We don't have time for you to count. Let's go to the next one. What is that a picture of? A dog. Are we all unified in that? How many of you see a face and not of a dog? Anybody see the face? See, I got progressively harder. Okay, Pat, you see the face. What, who does it look like? I think it looks like the Pied Piper. Because I know him personally. Yeah. Do you guys see the face right here? It's facing down. Right? So sometimes there's more going on in a situation or scenario than meets the eye. But you would have people look at this picture and say, that's a dog. Well, yeah, it's a dog. There would be people who would say, there's a face in there. And there would be people who would say, there's... some of you still don't see the face, right? Um, you're, you're, I'm losing you right now. You're just, this is a great risk. Let's move on. <laughs> a state of mind. What is truth? We have to examine the issue of truth if we're really going to arrive somewhere based off of thinking. And so let's, let's look real quickly at some of these ideas. Subjectivism, when it comes to thinking, is what? It's the belief that knowledge is merely subjective and that there is no external or objective truth. You go back to that picture and subjectivism would be those that saw the dog's face. Are you correct? Yes, you are correct. Those that saw the Pied Piper's face facing down, are you correct? Yes. But there are some, when you get into that scenario, just demand there is no face in there, right? They're just, I don't know what you're talking about. Now, what's real fun is make one of those up and there really isn't a face in there and pretend that there is and you get a person looking for hours and that's just hilarious. Relativism. This is the belief that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in a relation to culture, society, or historical con context and they are not absolute. So truth is relative to your circumstances. So over and over we hear about how the Bible needs to change because it needs to be updated to the 21st century. Our culture has changed. And there are some situations like that. Ladies, we're not going to force you to wear head coverings. Men, we're not going to ask you to grow curls out of your, your, your sideburns. Right? But what about tattoos? Uh-oh. Oh, you guys all snapped to attention on that. What about tattoos? Now that, I don't know. I don't know about that. You know, relativism is dangerous in the sense where you take it over a cliff 
of saying nothing is absolute. Or those things that are absolute, that you want to change those things to fit your own narrative. And so that's some of that empty and worldly philosophy. And by the way, that manifests itself in, you know, you do you, I'll do me, right? Or don't judge me. You know, what's interesting about that scripture, a lot of people like to quote it, um, do not judge unless what? Lest you be judged. So that says, don't judge, right? Because that's what I hear over and over, and even from people in church. Let me fix that thinking right now. Uh, there's tons of scripture that asks us to be discerning and to judge situations and to be careful about who we associate with and what we do. We are supposed to judge. The statement has everything to do with stop with your hypocrisy and calling someone out. And by the way, he's really kind of speaking to the Pharisees who were living a lie but wanted to act incredibly pious like they were free from sin. That's why he called them whitewashed sepulchers. So the Scripture doesn't tell us you can't ever judge. That would be foolish. You made a decision this morning. You judged whether or not you should come to church. There was only one right answer on that. <laughs> yes. It's in the mouth of babes. I love this. Materialism. An incredible idea. What is materialism? What do you think materialism is? Just toss out some ideas. It's Madonna. I'm a material girl living in a material world, right? Loving things more than God. Loving things more than God. Let me take you into the philosophical world. Materialism has everything to do with basing your thinking system on matter and matter only. First John was written based off of materialism. It was a religious sect called the Gnostics. And they practiced something called dualism. And what they said is that the human body was one thing and the person or the spirit of the person was another. And they would bifurcate those two things. So whatever happened physically to you or your matter didn't matter. Because you can separate out the person from the matter. Does that sound any way, shape, or form close to what is being practiced all around us? It doesn't matter what I do to children because they are just objects. We wonder about, and I'll be careful how I voice this, you know where I'm going. If we wanted to stop that, we just post the names of the people that are caught. And it's done. By the way, there are cultures around the world right now that are totally accepting of abuse towards children. Why? Materialism. This is a book that I haven't read all the way, so I want to be very careful in recommending it, but it's called Love Thy Body. I started this past week on the island, and it speaks to this issue. It is tremendously poignant. So, don't go out and buy it until I finish it, but put it on your potential list. But it goes to a deep, deep level of explaining how those who subscribe to a way of thinking an empty worldly philosophy with this idea of materialism that it's all just about matter that the physical stuff is matter and it's it's non-moral it's amoral and so therefore you are free to do what you want because it is just matter it's a disassociation 
and look at the discussions around you and see if that isn't prevalent around you today. Naturalism. This has everything to do with Darwin and evolution and that it's all about just nature and what nature does. Um, the philosophical belief that everything arises from the natural properties and causes and supernatural or spiritual explanations are excluded or discounted. Teleological arguments. This is an argument for the evidence of God. Uh, the evidence of God is found in order and design in nature, the exact opposite of naturalism. Teleological arguments are specifically opposite to materialism. And this is an argument for the evidence of God and it's found in order and design in nature. And ontological, that God being defined as great or perfect must exist since a God who exists is greater than the God who doesn't exist. And that's getting way out of my ability to understand things, but uh, it is a way of thinking. Cosmological, an argument for the existence of God because all things depend on something else <clears throat> for their existence. Some of you are like, wait, I didn't sign up for a philosophy class today. But you did when you're participating in life. So the question is, when you see, and these are nowhere close to all the different ways of thinking, how do you make a decision? How do you choose what you're going to do, how you're going to live? Does it fit within some of these? Are you mixing and mashing and, and uh, kind of building a stew of thinking? Because these things don't really work with one another, and I think that's one of the reasons that we're a very dissatisfied people, as opposed to walking in the Spirit. Let me keep moving. Gideon, our hero, out of Hebrews 11.32, I told you we'd get to him. And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Let's look at Gideon real quick. You turn to Judges 6. And here's the account. So the angel of the Lord shows up and engages with Gideon and see if this is not how you would speak. Or have you spoken this way recently or will you speak this way in the future depending on your circumstances? Gideon's threshing wheat and some scholars have said he's hiding. I don't understand how this works, but some scholars say he's, he's hiding. He doesn't want the Midianites or the Amalekites coming and stealing his food. So he's kind of hiding and that's the ironic thing here because says, and Gideon said to him, please, sir. By the way, the angel of the Lord addresses him, O mighty man of valor. And I, I think that's the juxtaposition that these scholars are looking for. I, I, I don't really, I think they're taking some liberties with that. But let's get to the conversation. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us. Have you said that? Has your thinking been there? When things are not working the way you thought they were going to work when you signed up for your faith, have you arrived at a point of saying or thinking at some point, the Lord is not with me anymore? If you are at that point like Gideon is, then let me help you out. You're human. But let me also help you say you need to check that thinking you're not walking in the Spirit. You're walking according to the flesh. Now, is there reason for it? Absolutely. And even Gideon, this mighty man of valor who God chooses, this is what he's thinking. This is what he's saying, which is very natural. Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? 
They've been under persecution. This is in the book of Judges. This is where the people of Israel have turned their back on God. They have pursued other things. They've pursued other empty philosophies. And God is going to judge them. So he sends people like the the Canaanites, the Midianites, the Amalekites. And his people are punished. They're captive. Where did all the promises go? And that's what Gideon is saying. What does logical thinking tell you? Logical thinking should tell us if we still see God the way He is, we're the ones that turned our back on God. And we're the ones when warned over and over and over by a grace-filled, benevolent, forgiving God, and we keep going down this path of idol worship and turning our back on God, that he says, I'm not giving up on you. So now I'm going to put pressure on you until you call on my name. Because guess what? The shwami is wrong. You can't do it on your own. And you can't coach yourself into believing you're better than you are. Right thinking, walking according to the Spirit, leads you into the blessings of God. Empty and worldly philosophy in the pursuit of that and allowing that to culture my thinking leads to what the nation of Israel ended up pursuing and having that hand of grace of God removed. So he says, and where are all his what? Wonderful deeds. Have you ever said that? Have you ever wondered, where are your grace and merciful, grace-filled and merciful deeds, God? You know I've asked over and over that you would give me children, that I would be married, that you would take my husband away. I can't stand him. <laughs> There's nothing personal here. I just want to be very, very clear. I'm not, I'm not referring to anything in particular. And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Where is Gideon's thinking and the leaders of Israel? Not walking in the Spirit. Now eventually, through God's merciful hand and working through Gideon, and God showing up because of the pursuit to change and renew the thinking, the people come back into right relationship with God. And they're reestablished through a miraculous event. You should read all of Judges 6. Because God's going to prove that you can't just do it on your own. You can't bootstrap it. You like that? You like that? You like that? You like that? See, I'm all about themes. You can't bootstrap it and say, I'm just going to make it happen. The beautiful part about the story of Gideon is this, and that's why it's in the heroes section, is that they had 10,000, they had 50,000 warriors ready to go to battle. And it says that the valley was filled with the camels and the people, and they were touching the entire valley. They were way outnumbered. And so what does God say? Send these guys home. They're not ready to battle. They're not convinced their thinking isn't right. Send those guys home. They're not ready to move. And he got down to how many people? 300 people against an entire valley, shoulder to shoulder. And God does the miraculous. Because it is God that will demonstrate 
who has the power. And He will correct our what? Our thinking. And every once in a while, that needs correcting. In wrapping up, let me share this. So let's do a little experiment. Socialism versus the royal law. That's one of the big things that's out there. And if you've been around long enough, you know that uh, I don't shirk away from reality and, and taking all this in. And so socialism sounds like a great idea, right? I think it sounds like a great idea. Everybody in here in our church is on the same level. And everybody's going to be taken care of. Everybody's going to have health care, right? It's all going to work out. That sounds pretty good. Anything else good about socialism? You are so chicken to answer anything. It's free. Free's good. What else? Anything else? Well, let me move quickly because time is not free. Why do people like the idea of socialism? Because it's what? Yeah, equal. There's no hierarchy. The classes aren't disparaging. I get that. I see the challenges of that. What are the, what's the inevitable problem with socialism? Laziness. No incentives. Not really free. Ooh, now we're getting close. Thank you. Does anybody track what happens in the world for those groups that have grabbed hold of socialism and embraced it? If you really want to know about socialism, because there's a movement in our country right now by progressives to adopt this, and it sounds great. You know what? I told you I picked on me first. You heard that, right? Where pastors will tell you what you want to hear so you'll buy our books and you'll fill our, fill our, our, our stadiums. People understand the history of mankind and how they think. And they know exactly how to make people their puppets. And that's to promise them everything. So I encourage you, if you really want to know this idea of socialism, and does it work, does it not, look at what's happening in Venezuela right now. You have a current situation. I don't have time to go over it, but it has to do with power. You may say people are free, but you will never, on this side of heaven in the return of Christ, you will never eliminate the seduction of power. Whether you want to claim socialistic or communist or, or whatever, you will never eliminate, and there will always be someone more powerful. Ambition. That's another problem. Because you can say that hey, we all just get to do this and show up and make this happen and it's status quo, it's static. But there will always be people who are ambitious and they will find a way and they will take advantage of the situation. Ultimately, sin is the problem with socialism and why it doesn't work. You know, the beautiful part is that heaven will be filled with that. That the Garden of Eden was supposed to be socialism. That everybody was going to be taken care of, everybody was treated equally. But sin entered in and destroyed that concept and idea. And until we vanquish sin or the Lord vanquishes sin and it's no longer prevalent in our society, that's our biggest problem. Now let me do a comparison analysis here. What about the royal law? Socialism versus the royal law. Luke 10, 27 says this, And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So socialism... How many of you guys want to go to an island? 
right? Some of these guys are like on an island currently. <laughs> All right? Right? That sounds like a great... How many of you adults want to go on an island? Right? <laughs> Julian, was mom like, man, I wish I got to go on the island with you? Yeah? Julian, did you have a good time this week? So, what a hard, hard thing if our students couldn't afford to go to camp. Now, who's going to step up and pay that? Is the government going to pay it? Sometimes the government pays it, but they're not paying for church camp. You see, what Jesus said is that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And this church stepped up and brought their belongings and created the opportunity for the youth to work a parking lot sale in late June and raise $1,400 for scholarships for the kids. Not only that, there was probably $2,500 in private scholarships offered by people in this church. That's the royal law. That's the royal law. And can I just encourage you, that's the correct thinking. And so often the church takes a brow beating by the public because we own sin, we have our own problems. But I want us to be able to say, look at what God's people did because God worked and because their thinking was connected to loving your neighbor as yourself. There wasn't a kid that wanted to go to camp. Fernando told me, I think two weeks ago, he said, you know, you came and you said, let's, let's schedule 13. And I was just like, ah, really? 13? Are you sure? And how many did we take to camp? 13. 13. Only because the church practiced this concept of loving your neighbor as ourself. VBS, all of this doesn't happen without the church stepping up and loving our neighbor. And I just want to encourage you, it's not too late to reach out to more and more and more. We had neighbor kids come over to use our playground and two of them I recognized, three I didn't, and I walked up to them yesterday and just invited them. Invited them to, to VBS, invited them to youth group. Because of what you do and because of your giving here, it creates the opportunities for us to minister to our neighbors. Deacons Fund. We had an individual that was attacked from our church, a lady, uh, two weeks ago. And she was beaten up in the parking lot of Home Depot and her money was stolen. Along with her phone, her purse, everything. What was really scary is she decided to go all Dukes of Hazard, and, you know, run after the person and corner them in the parking lot and then on the freeway. And thank God the spirit got a hold of her and got her to calm down. But the reality is that this church stepped up and was able to replenish through our deacons fund the money that was stolen because you give to the deacons fund. It's taking care of those, right? Whatever you did for the least of these. This week is gonna be tremendous because we practice, our thinking is walking in the spirit. There's a lot of things we could do with our time. A lot of things that we could do with our time, but even our children were here throughout this week working on all that we're doing to prepare to affect the kingdom of heaven. In closing, I want to run these passages by you real quickly. When it comes to your thinking, Romans 12, 1-3 is one of the best passages you can grab hold of. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your what? Of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then verse 3 is, is paramount. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Very counterproductive than the Swami's advice. Right? Don't think too highly of yourself, Paul says, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Walk according to the Spirit each day, not by the flesh. And in closing, I leave you with this passage, or this idea. I am surrounded by idiots. Oh, and by the way, I am one. I told you we would revisit it. And so when we think we've got it all figured out, I really want to encourage you to go back and measure where is your thinking shaped from? Are you walking by the Spirit? Is the Spirit a fresh taste in your life in what you do day in, day out? Or are you making choices because of empty and worldly philosophies? This is a great way to measure. I love, I love application. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, what should we do? Think about these things. Let me close in prayer and then we've got um, a ministry moment for you father as we continue in our worship this morning encourage our thinking encourage our thought process encourage the conviction of our heart that we would be rooted and established in christ that we would pursue on a daily level what it means to walk according to the spirit and therefore to truly engage in relationship with you and to let you and your, your perfect truth shape our thinking. And that we would not forget when circumstances get dark, but that we would remember the Lord our God and that we would lean on you and we would walk in the Spirit so that we can move through those dark circumstances without scarring. Help us check ourselves, Father. Help us hold on to the truth of these scriptures. To you be the glory, Father. Amen.